Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, every once in a while, a news story comes around, comes along, that um, just kind of makes you stomp and wonder and ponder the nature of man. This isn't that kind of story. It's just stupefying beyond all belief. It dominated British news media most of this past week because it affected British schools. We okay so far. But a report came out from the British government that says at least 156 schools were built using a form of so-called weak concrete, which uh, has a lifespan of about 30 years. And uh, this past week, Britain's National Regulator for Workplace Health and Safety says that that wacky form of concrete is now, quote, life expired, unquote. Oh, more of the quote, it is liable to collapse with little or no notice, unquote. It's, uh, it's not really concrete. It's called RAAC, Reinforced Autoclaved Aerated Concrete. It was used widely in construction of public buildings in Britain during the 50s. Now that makes sense. If you don't know, Britain in the 1950s was not like, let's say, the United States in the 1950s. We were having a high old time driving cars with tail fins to the sky. And Britain's were still on rations. It was uh, rough over there. And they had to uh, save where they could. And this form of concrete, which is not really concrete, reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, was lighter than traditional concrete. And more importantly, cheaper. It uh, has the interesting characteristic of becoming weaker and more prone to collapse as it ages just like us the material is also used to build hospitals courts and police stations it's made from lime water and an aeration agent just to aerate it I guess and as I say this week just as school begins, the British government announces, 100, maybe 150, maybe more schools built with this stuff, open with kids inside. It's um, called weak concrete or light concrete, but according to the Standing Committee on Structural Safety over there, it's an independent body. I wish I had one of those. It's very different from traditional concrete. And because of the way in which it was made, much weaker. It's not known how long 
the affected schools will be closed or how much the repairs will cost. As I say, if you understand just exactly how weak and poor Britain was on its way out of World War II, it makes a little sense. But they kept using it through the 1990s, a period we were advised to regard as cool Britannia. You know, why fix the schools until they start collapsing? So, when, when the time comes around when you start thinking about where you live, just be grateful that um, they haven't built your schools with weak concrete. Or have they? And just haven't told us yet. Nah. Hello, welcome to the show. I'll be alone each and every night While you're away, don't forget to write Happy September, everybody, from Santa Monica, California, home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's time for me to read the trades for you. Just a little something about what some people have been eating. 
from advertising age? Yes. I'm going to read it for you. Right here. Right now. Pocky, a snack chip owned by Hershey Company, has pulled an extremely spicy version of the snack from shelves amid health concerns, including the death of a teenager who died after eating the chip, according to his mother. The brand runs an annual contest called one uh, hashtag one chip challenge that asks consumers to consume a single spicy chip. This year's version was made from Carolina Reaper pepper and the Naga Viper, two of the hottest peppers in the world. Harris Wollabaugh, 14, of Worcester, Massachusetts, recently consumed the chip and died shortly after, as reported by the New York Times. While an autopsy report was not available, his mother told the newspaper that the chip was one of the last things he ate. She picked him up from school last Friday, found him clutching his stomach, and he was later rushed to the hospital where he died. According to the Times, quote, I just want there to be an awareness for parents to know that it's not safe, said Lois Wollaba to the newspaper. She added, it needs to be out of the market completely, unquote. Pocky, which is owned by Hershey Company, controlled Amplify Snack Brands, today on its website confirmed it was pulling the product known as the Reaper. Quote, the Pocky One Chip Challenge is intended for adults only with clear and prominent labeling highlighting the chip is not for children or anyone sensitive to spicy foods or who has food allergies, is pregnant, or has underlying health conditions, Pocky said. Continuing, quote, we've seen an increase in teens and other individuals not heeding these warnings. Out of an abundance of caution, we're actively working with our retailers to remove the product from shelves, unquote. As of Thursday evening, Walmart was still selling the chip online for 18 bucks. It comes packaged in a coffin-shaped box. The case is another example of social media-fed trends involving brands leading to trouble. Pocky has run the contest for seven years. Partly it's a way to gain attention on platforms such as TikTok. For instance, last year's challenge involved a chip that turned tongues blue. <laughs> and the brand encouraged consumers to prove they've eaten one of the chips by sharing a picture of their blue tongue on social media. The hashtag one chip challenge has earned some two billion views in TikTok including videos from previous years. I should add, this isn't from that age, but we don't know if anybody died 
in the challenge in previous years. But two billion views ain't nothing. Something we learn when I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature. said that. A report by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's Inspector General found that the federal agency, the EPA, is failing to enforce federal pollution limits on benzene that's admitted, emitted from refineries, including nine in Texas. This is from the Texas Tribune. The report published earlier this week found the EPA has not ensured that petroleum refineries that exceed benzene concentration limits at their fence lines take actions to reduce emissions of the invisible hydrocarbon. It is known to cause cancer after repeated exposure. I said repeated exposure. The report says from January 2018 to September 2021, 25 of 118 refineries that submitted benzene monitoring data to the EPA exceeded the pollution limits at least once during that time period. 13 exceed pollution limits repeatedly. I said repeatedly. When those limits were exceeded, according to the report, enforcement actions were limited, partly because of insufficient air pollution analysis at the refineries and incomplete data submitted by the companies. In Texas, the EPA has given the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, <laughs> the state's environmental regulatory agency, power to enforce such limits. Refineries are required to submit benzene fence line monitoring data to the Texas agency. The Inspector General's Office, the Inspector General's Office at the EPA, recommended the EPA give clear instructions to its delegated authorities, like the Texas agency on what counts as breaking limit rules and how to spot missing information from refineries. The Texas director for the Environmental Integrity Project, a non-profit uh, non environmental organization, said the report gives ammunition to those who do want to try to clean up cancer-causing pollution. The report also noted that regulatory agencies find the pollution limits challenging to implement because the level that triggers an alert does not automatically lead to a violation. The uh, Texas Director for the Environmental Integrity Project, Han Levin, describes the EPA's benzene limit like a car's engine light. It's a warning to regulators that benzene levels are high, but regulators can't always issue a penalty for it. The report recommended the EPA come up with a plan to deal with refineries that don't lower their benzene levels after exceeding the federal limits. The EPA's Office of Enforcement and Compliance Assurance says it plans to fix these issues, expects to complete the Inspector General's recommendations by next year. Benzene, as you may well know, is emitted from various sources at refineries. Your storage tanks, your equipment leaks, and your wastewater. Pardon me. It's known to cause cancer after repeated exposure. 
and can irritate the throat and eyes. When inhaled in large quantities over a short period, it's a long walk over a short period of you. Benzene can affect the central nervous system and cause symptoms including dizziness, a rapid heart rate, and headaches. The Environmental Integrity Project's executive director said the report highlights the urgent need for the federal agency to crack down on oil refineries that are putting neighborhoods right down the street from these plants at risk. The former director of civil enforcement at the APA said, quote, the benzene levels remain far too high at refineries year after year. EPA needs to give these industry laggards a deadline for cleanup or companies will stop taking these requirements seriously. Along the Houston Ship Channel, reportedly, according to the Texas Tribune, Chemical plants, refineries, and smokestacks are surrounded by a string of communities, many of them predominantly communities of color, and studies have found that residents have experienced adverse health impacts from pollution coming from their industrial neighbors. Speaking of bad neighbors, a crypto mining company in Pennsylvania is seeking to burn tires to produce Bitcoin. This report from The Guardian, and uh, the result has been an outcry from residents and environmental groups. Stronghold Digital Mining says it's repurposing waste materials, like tires. Opponents worry about the risks of emissions to human health. Oh, that! The production of cryptocurrency is an ex extremely energy-intensive process, as you may already know. Its electricity consumption accounts for an estimated 113 terawatt hours a year. That's roughly the amount of electricity that countries such as Kazakhstan, the Philippines, and Ukraine each used last year. I bet Ukraine used more this year. Stronghold has been burning coal waste to create cheap power for cryptocurrencies since 2021 when it bought a power plant in Nesquahoning, Pennsylvania. Thank you. It is a controversial approach, because although the, rec the removal of coal waste can help remediate contaminated land, the process emits greenhouse gases and other harmful chemicals. It can take twice as much waste coal to produce the same amount of electricity that regular coal would produce. Isn't that wacky? The company also says it sometimes needs to burn tire-derived fuel, made of shredded vehicle tires, to make the combustion of waste coal more efficient. Additives such as the tire fuel, quote, are especially needed when the quality of coal refuse is low in energy content. That's according to a spokesperson for Stronghold. The crypto miner, which receives state subsidies to burn waste coal, already holds a temporary permit to test the use of tire-derived fuel. It's seeking permanent permission for tires to comprise up to 15%, or 78,000 tons, of its fuel. Says a local resident, it's terrible. I can't even believe that people would be allowed to burn tires. 
The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has in the past, on an archived web page last published seven years ago, described burning tires for fuel as preferable to landfilling them. Uh-oh. The Guardian used landfill as a verb. Get me the copy desk. Oh, they did, eh? Uh, environmental advocates criticize the practice of burning tires. Quote, it poses risks to the health of people living nearby, says an attorney with Earth Justice, which is fighting the tire application. This sort of disposal of tires, he says, is a last resort. And guess what? That's where we're living. Combusting tires can create dioxins and furums, highly toxic chemicals known to be linked to cancer and to be slow to break down in the environment. Polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, PAHs, several of which are carcinogenic, are also associated with burning tires. But they're aromatic. They're clearly looking to reduce their fuel costs, says an executive of a local environmental group, Penn Future. He continues, there's no analysis for how this will add to the existing burden of legacy pollution in the area, but it's a legacy. The facility is within two miles of communities the state has defined as environmental justice areas. Residents of Carbon County, along with environmental groups, have sent letters of concern to the county commissioner and the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. Stronghold, the digital mining company, has received seven violations from the Department of Environmental Protection for not complying with emission standards already. It said in a statement to the newspaper, The Guardian, that its operations use the best available control technology for air pollution controls. That adjective, available, I bet is doing a lot of work in that sentence. News of the crypto winner, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature this broadcast. Now our friend the Atom. This story comes around about every uh, 20 years or so. This time it appears in the National Geographic. For around five decades, human beings have been burying nuclear waste deep underground, a radioactive legacy that may remain lethal for thousands of years. But with more than 20 nuclear repositories in consideration and development around the world, how will our descendants, some 500 generations from now, be able to identify where and what these sites are and why they should be avoided? The problem has been tackled with proposals ranging from ominous monuments and atomic priesthoods to glowing cats. But it turns out warning future humans of danger is harder than it sounds. For centuries in Northeast Japan, for example, people have erected enormous stone tablets along the coast to warn future generations of the threat of tsunami. Despite declaring that nothing should be built below a certain point, many later residents ignored or forgot the warnings and built homes in vulnerable areas, paying a terrible price. In the early 1980s, as world governments in the nuclear industry became increasingly concerned about what to do about the long-term storage of radioactive waste, 
a new field of study developed. Nuclear semiotics. Semiotics. The very broad, esoteric, and sometimes surreal study of how we will warn future humans, civilizations, or even post-human species about our deadly legacy. Creation of nuclear semiotics is credited to a group of engineers, scientists, political scientists, psychologists, anthropologists, archaeologists, and more, who worked on the Human Interference Task Force, formed by the U.S. Department of Energy and Bechtel Corporation in 1981. They took their cues from the monumental structures, sacred texts, and even curses that survived from ancient civilizations in order to come up with our society's largest conscious attempt to, uh, to communicate across the abyss of deep time. The uh, task force decided the most effective way to scare future generations, <laughs> no, those tapes won't be available, was through the creation of enormous monuments around nuclear waste storage sites that were designed to evoke a sense of danger and dread. One proposed stop sign is a sprawling landscape of huge rock-like thorns emerging from the earth in every direction. Another suggests a sort of atomic stonehenge over the waste repository, comprised of huge granite columns marking its boundary, earthen ramparts around the facility's actual footprint, and a structure at its heart containing information about the site. What about the soundtrack? Additional copies of the information would be buried around the site itself and in stored archives around the world on special long-lasting paper. Labeled with the perhaps optimistic administrative message, quote, keep for 10,000 years, unquote. Even with the equally chilling warning messages that could be carved into such sites, like, quote, this place is not a place of honor. No highly esteemed deed is commemorated here. Nothing value is, is here. What is here was dangerous and repulsive to us. Unquote. Monuments on such a scale are likely, more likely than not, to attract attention from the curious, the criminal, and even future archaeologists end up encouraging the very thing they're supposed to prevent, the excavation of the site. Like the Egyptian pyramids. They're still here, but the priests are long gone, and we ignore the terrible curses. So far, we're cool. Ironically, one of the most pilloried proposals made to the task force was that of a self-perpetuating manipulative atomic priesthood with a designated elite who would employ myth, legend, and secretive ritual to create a sense of taboo around these sites for generations to come. The task force ended its work in 1984, concluding that any successful attempt to communicate a warning across deep time will have to rely on monumental architecture and markers. Structures should be durable enough to require no maintenance for 10,000 years. Well, that's easy. And should be disturbing enough to inspire people to transmit knowledge about them across countless 
generations. Another uh, attempt at uh, warnings for future generations. A writer and a semiotician came up with a different approach. The ray cat. In the future, they believed cats could be bred to change color in the presence of radiation. The cats would then be released into the wild, and while generations of ray cats prowled the land, the story of the color-shifting felines and the danger they represent would be passed down to future generations in folk tales. We love those. And just as um, concern about the burning of fossil fuels reignited some limited interest in nuclear energy as a source of electric power. A Paris-based agency, the Nuclear Energy Agency, it's an intergovernmental one, came up with uh, another way of passing the information down through the generations. Thousands of markers buried around a nuclear waste site possibly containing information that's recorded on durable materials like Velium rather than on laminated paper documents or USB drives. According to Neil Hyatt, Chief Scientific Advisor to the UK government's Nuclear Waste Services, the international community has moved on to think about a multi-layering of messages using different tools to pass on information about what was done on these sites to allow people to make up their own mind about how might they react with it in the future. Unquote. They could uh, make those out of weak concrete. Hyatt believes this approach is reflected in the British plans to find a willing community to house its national n nuclear repository on British soil cultivating the community relationship not just during site construction but all the way through the 750 planned years of its operation closure and post-closure monitoring under international control institu institutional control sorry and that 750 years the stuff's going to be hot for thousands of years nice work neil hyatt and finally, researchers have discovered that turtle shells can help track radioactive material through time, like walking tree rings. Scientists said these creatures could help with environmental monitoring and nuclear waste and fallout sites around the world. Quote, turtles often overlap with where nuclear events occurred, either nuclear testing or even nuclear deployments during World War II or nucle nuclear processing production type of sites at national labs, says an earth scientist at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. He's the lead author of a study where scientists tested shells from turtles that had died years earlier and were collected in the Marshall Islands, southwest Utah, a bombing range in Arizona, Oak Ridge Reservation, researchers could also collect information from live turtles. The study concluded, like clipping a fingernail, said the lead author. The overlap with nuclear sites happens because turtles are found on every continent and like to live 
on the margins where humans don't always live. These conditions also make for good places to test nuclear weapons. Their shells collect information on radioactive material they encounter, says the lead author of the study. There's a real potential for using turtles and tortoises and even sea turtles as a real-time monitor of conditions out in the environment. The colorful layers on top of turtle, tortoise, and sea turtle shells are made of keratin. Same thing makes up human nails. But the keratin in turtles forms in layers over time. Quote, I was surprised how closely the known nuclear histories at those sites were tracked within the turtles. Unquote, the lead researcher. Our friend the atom and our friends the turtles. Turtle beach. The 
of the war. Won't you? Soft listen to the worst. We can listen to the worst. You know what? It's weird, ladies and gentlemen. Um, a significant portion of our population is worried, and not just in this country, it's all over Europe as well, are worried about other human beings from other countries entering their uh, spaces. They're worried about the wrong thing. Invasive pests are wreaking havoc across the planet, destroying crops, disseminating pathogens, depleting, depleting fish, People rely on for food and driving native plants and animals toward extinction. That's according to a major report backed by the UN and reported by the Washington Post. This landmark assessment found more than 3,500 harmful invasive species cost society more than $423 billion a year. Tally only, only expected to grow as the modern age of global trade and travel continues to supercharge the spread of plants and animals across continents like never before by hitching a ride on cargo ships and passenger jets exotic species are bridging oceans mountain ranges and other geographic divides others otherwise insurmountable without human help the result is a great scrambling of the planet's flora and fauna with dire implications for humans and the ecosystems we depend on quote one of the things we stress is that really is the tremendous threat this does pose to, and I know this is going to sound grandiose, but to human civilization. That's a quote from an Ontario Tech University professor, Peter Stoit, who helped lead a group of about seven dozen experts in writing the report. The cost estimate, he added, the economic cost estimate, is, quote, extremely conservative, unquote. Well, that should appeal to the conservatives. The spread of plants and animals between continents is one of the main causes of Earth's ongoing biodiversity crisis, an extinction event on par with the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. That's what happened to them. Invasive species are playing a role in 60% of extinctions, according to the report. As more harmful invasive species take hold and multiply, humanity faces profound risks, too. Pests threaten to eat through croplands and spread mosquito-borne illnesses and other diseases. It's normal that species move, says a professor at the University of Concepcion in Chile, who was taught 
co-chaired the group behind the report, but what is unprecedentedly added is today's era of plants and animals leaping the big barriers between continents. Quote, it's not normal that a species crosses the Atlantic, not normal that it goes from Australia to Chile. The body concluded that the threat from invasive species is, quote, underappreciated, underestimated, and often unacknowledged, unquote, with only about a sixth of the world's nations having laws or regulations on the books addressing invasive plants and animals, except for humans, with new species introduced in an unprecedented rate of 200 a year, problem is expected to get worse before it gets better. The most widespread invasive animal, according to the report, is the uber no, is the black rat, which spread by stowing away on ships and scurried its way not only into dense cities, but onto far-flung islands as well, where it has decimated ground-nesting seabirds and other animals. You birds, get back into the trees before it's too late. News of the warm, kind of. Now, the apologies of the week. Air Canada has confirmed it has apologized after two women were kicked off a flight for refusing to sit in seats that had vomit on them. Initially highlighted by passenger Susan Benson on Facebook, Air Canada's vomit gate saw passengers escorted from a flight between Las Vegas and Montreal late August after complaining about the poorly cleaned area to cabin crew members. According to the Post, the unhappy travelers could not be accommodated in alternative seats because the plane was full, meaning they could not be expected to sit in that for five hours. The dispute eventually ended with the pair being provided additional wipes and blankets place over the damp seats. It was re-escalated when the pilot approached the passengers before departure that they could, warning them that they could either leave the plane themselves or be escorted off by security and placed on the carrier's no-fly list, citing their behavior. Benson, the fellow passenger, notes that another passenger jumped to their defense, but little could be done. The passenger beside them, she wrote, explained the pilot that they had literal vomit in their seat. He explained that they were not rude, just upset. Next thing we know, security comes down the aisle and escorted the two ladies off the plane. Benson ended her emotive post with a harsh critique of Air Canada's treatment of the two women, adding that it made her, quote, ashamed to be a Canadian, unquote. In a subsequent interview with local media, she explained she believed the airline mishandled the incident and it should never have tried to seat the passengers. Air Canada confirmed this incident, noting it had launched an investigation and already apologized to those affected. Quote, We're reviewing this serious matter internally and have followed up with the customers directly as our operating procedures were not followed correctly in this instance. This includes apologizing to these customers as they clearly did not receive the standard of care to which they were entitled and addressing their concerns. We remain in contact with them about this matter." Unquote. Dear Madam Ray Vomit, 
Dateline, New Zealand, a woman suffered crippling pain after a medical device the size of a dinner plate was left inside her abdomen for 18 months after she gave birth via cesarean. According to an official report, the unnamed woman in her 20s underwent the procedure in 2020 due to complications with her pregnancy and the patient's, quote, elevated maternal body mass, according to the report, which was released by New England's Health and Disability Commissioner. The woman complained of severe chronic pain for months after the birth of her child. Doctors eventually discovered that an Alexis wound retractor, a round, soft, tubular device used to draw back the edges of a wound during surgery, had been accidentally left inside her during the operation. She complained of the pain to her doctor several times and on one occasion went to the emergency department of Auckland Hospital. The item was undetected for so long partly because it was, quote, non-radio opaque, unquote. That means it couldn't be seen by x-ray. Huh. You want to sneak something into somewhere. The health commissioner said the Auckland Health Authority had failed in its duty of care to the woman. The health board has apologized for the distress caused but must do so again in writing within three weeks. Quote, I acknowledge the stress that these events caused the woman and her family. The woman experienced episodes of pain over a significant period of time following her surgery until the AWR was removed in 2021. The health authority said in the report, I accept her concerns regarding the impact that's had on her health and well-being and that of her family. The report details how a large wound retractor was used during the C-section operation, but the surgeon decided this was too small and asked for an extra large version. Instead, it was this second larger device that was left inside the patient and wasn't discovered until a CT scan more than a year later. Mm -hmm. The Education Secretary of Great Britain has apologized for her language after being caught swearing on Mike as she expressed irritation over the concrete crisis. We discussed earlier the weak concrete used in British schools construction in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Having finished an interview with the television network, Gillian Keegan used the F word as she asked, does anyone ever say you've done a good job because everyone else has sat on their arse and done nothing? Unquote. In a later interview, she said she was sorry for her off-the-cuff remark. She added it was driven by irritation at a reporter's questions. He was making it out it was all my fault. It is frustrating because we're doing everything, we're doing everything we can to take a leading position, to be on the front foot. I worry about this. I haven't slept all night worrying about this, she said. She said she was also frustrated that some questionnaires sent to schools about their buildings had not yet been returned. Asked if she was accusing schools of sitting on their arse, Miss Keegan said her comments were not aimed at anyone in particular. She also said she was not expecting to be thanked personally for her work, but praised her department for taking a leadership role. More than a hundred schools, as I think I mentioned earlier, have been fully or partially closed due to the risk 
of having been built with subpar concrete. The makeup artist who styled Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein says he's sorry. Kazo Hiro said at a Venice Film Festival press conference, says he was not expecting the swift and intense backlash to early images of Cooper in character that surfaced last year and intensified earlier this month when the trailer for a Bernstein biopic was released. The backlash centered on Cooper's nose, which was elongated on the uh, non-Jewish star, Cooper, with the help of a prosthetic. Some who saw it said the prosthetic size perpetrated stereotypes about Jews. Quote, I feel, I feel sorry I hurt some people's feelings, said Hero, who's won two Oscars. He said he and Cooper would show up at two in the morning most days to start early on pre-filming makeup sessions that took anywhere from three to five hours. My goal was, and Bradley's goal, was to pray, portray Lenny as authentic as possible. Hero said. Lenny had a really iconic look that uh, everybody knows. There's so many pictures out there because he's photogenic too. Such a great person and also inspired so many people. So we wanted to respect the look too on the inside. So that's why we did several different tests and went through lots of decisions. And that was the outcome in the movie, unquote. Kazuhiro, Kazuhiro, sorry, the makeup man. Both Bernstein's family and the Anti-Defamation League defended Cooper, who also directed the film, said they did not consider the elongated nose anti-Semitic. Deadline New York, Jimmy Fallon has apologized to his colleagues over allegations in a Rolling Stone story published this week about a difficult, nay, toxic work environment at The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. Doing a Zoom call with the staff of the show held after the story was published, Fallon reportedly said he did not intend to create that type of atmosphere for the show, according to a follow-up story by Rolling Stone, citing unnamed employees who were on the call. It's embarrassing and I feel so bad, the employees claim Fallon said, according to the Rolling Stone article, that was a follow-up to the original. Sorry if I embarrassed you and your family and friends. I feel so bad I can't even tell you. The article quotes Fallon. I want the show to be fun. It should be inclusive to everybody. It should be the best show. Fallon also reportedly said. In the original story, 16 current and former employees described a difficult work environment that in some cases they say was detrimental to their mental health. The individuals who are not identified by name in the story, citing fear of professional repercussions. We started the apologies in bad taste. We'll end them that way. Belgium's justice minister has appeared before Parliament after guests at his birthday party were caught on closed-circuit TV urinating on an empty police van. Vincent van Quickenborn... <laughs> right there insisted he had not known what they did but apologized for the ensuing scandal which local media have nicknamed pp gate the apologies of the week ladies and gentlemen a copyrighted feature of this broadcast do you remember the 21st night of september 
Love was changing the mind of this pretender while chasing the clouds away. Our hearts were ringing in the key that our souls were singing. As we danced in the moonlight, stars stole the night away. Adi, 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 do you remember him? Adi, Adi. Dancing in September and Adi 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 Adi, dance the night away. We dance the night away. So with you, holding hands with your heart, but to see you, only a blue talk and your dissembles. Remember when love was here to stay. Dancing in September, adi 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 adi, dance the night away. Dance the night away.
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time, same radio station. Uh, And at the time of your choosing on the audio device of your choice. And it would be just like Rudy Giuliani starting a reputation management service. If you'd agree to be with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk. To Pam Halstead, to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this show still exists. You can find it along with the music playlist for this show and so many fun things to do, read, and watch all at harryshear.com. And me, I'm not even going to say it. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.